0: I'm Joyce Hornady. You
1: might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets.
0: You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show.
2: Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Werzik. Again, thanks for tuning in on this one. We appreciate you listening. If you're not, please subscribe. We put out a bunch of good information, a bunch of good conversation. We think you'll enjoy it. And on this episode, I really think you'll enjoy it. I've got Two Hornady employees, longtime employees that got a great history with the company, and are also critical parts of our number one product, which is bullets. So please join me in welcoming on the show, John Protratz, Mike Timmerman. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. You thanks. Got,
1: thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, really excited about this one. You know, we, we were talking before we started recording that in these podcasts. You know, now we're well over a year into this. The Topics that trend really well for us that people really like to learn about are deep dives about technical things, cartridges, bullets, ballistics, that kind of stuff. Well, we've highlighted certain bullets, you know, the CX bullet, for example, is one of our more popular episodes. And we talk a a little bit about its design and how it's manufactured and how it's used. But the reason I got you guys on the show is I want to take a dive for our listener into how a bullet is manufactured because there are there's a lot to it. I remember when I first started here, uh, 10 years ago, tomorrow is, yeah. uh, is a decade. I remember being on the floor, Johnny showing me how a bullet's made. It was like drinking water from a fire hose. I mean, I'd spent my whole <laughs> life shooting bullets and it was like, are you kidding me? Th- this is how complex it is. And then when you kind of scale back and you kind of get understanding of what's going on, it's not quite as complex as maybe I thought it was because essentially you just take hard metal and hit soft metal and it takes the shape but there's way more to it than that. So, I want to go into how that's done and what makes Hornady different and what makes Hornady bullets better and how we're able to make such good quality bullets at such large scale because I don't think there's a single bullet manufacturer out there that can hang with our volume. I mean, we simply make bullets. Yeah. So, before we get into that, I think we need to give our listener a little bit more of a background on uh, who you guys are because you're not just guys out there running a the press that just started. You guys have been here for a while. No offense that I'm not, not making any <laughs> old jokes, but uh, uh, you guys have been around. You know how to make bullets and you know a lot about the company. And so I'd like to hear kind of individually where you guys started. So I don't care who goes first. John, let's hear from you. When did you start? What got you at Hornady? And what's your career looked like over the years? Well,
0: you know, I started out in manufacturing at uh, you, At that time, it was Sperry, New Holland, but it's Case, oh. New Holland now. Okay, making combines. But, but, you know, making sheet metal parts and then machining castings. And then, you know, worked there for four years. And the Carter Reagan years came in there in 1982, got laid off from there. And then it took me till well, about a year later to get in at Hornaday. But, you know, that's a local manufacturer. Small company versus big company Yeah, that Case was, or Sperry was. We
2: were, Hornady was way smaller
0: in 19. We had, you know, maybe 100 employees in all four divisions. Oh, wow. Small footprint, Mm -hmm. you know, where the plant is now on Old Potash. You know, pretty small place. You know, each division didn't really have a lot of employees. I think I was, in the bullet division, I think I was like employee number 53. Used to have a time card rack Mm -hmm. hanging on the wall where you walked in and I think I was 53. Okay. And then, I mean, you really became something. If you made it in, there were three time card racks. If you made it to the first rack, okay, you were a long timer there <laughs> then. And then I think I did make it to the bottom of the
2: good for you first rack before that, you know, we went with a different timekeeping yeah. system. And, you made it. So you started uh, making bullets then, or would you get into yeah, a different Yeah, I started as a
0: press operator, 1983. Okay. All right. And May 9th, 1983. So if you do the math. Here in about two months, well, May 2023, it'll be 40 years for me. Good for you. And I've been out on the floor there that whole time, basically, in different roles. Started out as a press operator and then moved up to a cell leader and then uh, started putting new products on new presses, getting them up and running, mm-hmm. working with the engineers on that and getting the new products running and turning them into okay, that's a regular production deal now
2: instead of a R D yep project and That's cool. That's that part is probably where I came in, you know, ten years ago. I remember any time that there was a new bullet, uh, there was a you know, a team of guys that would, you know, kind of get that bullet up and running and yeah. then turn it over to regular production and, you know, I think back on some of the big projects, obviously the A tip bullet, yeah. which is one of our you know Grand Slam, home run products, just an amazing, amazing product. I know you had a hand in that one. Um, if you would, tell us a little bit about your com- competition world, because you got into the competitive shooting.
0: Yeah, back in, I think 2007 was, uh, I think that was about the first summer that uh, Joe and Christina Thielen, they were doing a 1,000-yard bench press shooting. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go to Pella, Iowa, and maybe go to Colorado. And there was one down in... Yukon, Missouri, and they were doing a thousand yard bench press, And, you know, they were young, a young married couple, you know, and they're going to start a family and okay, we got to hand this off yep. a little bit so they can concentrate on that. And so he got us started in that, you know, a bunch of us went down there to some of the matches, gave it a try and got hooked. You know, it was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, okay, we're taking something that we made, you know, we got a hand in the accuracy of these bullets here and okay, we actually got a Basically
2: field test them, see how they perform. In a competitive world and in a hyper-competitive environment because bench rest is cutthroat. I mean, Mm -hmm. one bullet out can really separate the herd. Yeah. Forty years. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: The bench rest stuff's been pretty good to me. Uh, I've managed to achieve gold level and IBS. Wow. So there's, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say... 20 to 25 people that are gold level and there's three that I believe that are platinum and it's just it's just based on how many points you scored over your yep, career. Your career uh, and you're still competing.
2: Yes. Awesome. What cartridges are you competing with or what bullet? Well, I'm using
0: a 280 HK which is a 280 Hummel and KIF. It's mm-hmm. basically a, a 280 Remington case with the shoulder blowing out from 17.5 degrees to 30 degrees. Okay. So for a little more case capacity I'm using that for light gun and then for heavy gun I'm using the Started out with a 30 boo-boo <laughs> and then switched over to being south. Those cases were pretty difficult to come by, Yep, you know, that 15, 20 years ago. And then uh, we switched to the 300 PRC, and, th- I mean, that cartridge is working really well. Yeah,
2: you guys I know have won a bunch of matches with that oh, one. Yeah. And for the listener out there, if you want, uh, go back and listen to the 300 PRC podcast. I don't know the number, but Joe Thielen talks about, you know, going from the 30 boo-boo and the eight by 68 cases. And yeah. then he was working in the case plan at that time, doing some engineering and came out with the, at the time it was, had no name and no head stamp. Yeah. Uh, but what turned out to be the 300 PRC just for you guys to shoot bench rest with. Yeah. That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's performing well. That's what I we can't like stress that enough. It's, I mean, on a heavy gun, you know, platform, you know, if you've got a heavy enough gun, I mean, the recoil's nothing really. Yeah. I mean, if it's pushing back a 60 pound gun, which is about what nine ways, I mean, it only slides back, you know, an inch and a half. So, that's it, cool. Gun tracks really well, and the cartridge is just really forgiving. Yeah. I mean, you know, we take our time to weigh sort cases and weigh powder charges and weigh sort to bullets and stuff like that, but it's just. Even if he didn't do that, I think yeah. he'd still do
2: really? pretty, pretty well. That's cool. Well, I got to ask, John, were you a gun guy or a hunter before starting to make bullets or did you get captured by it as you got? I
0: mean, I went bird hunting, uh-huh. you know, back before I started the Hornady, but, yep. but no, I wasn't really a, you know, a big center fire guy. No.
2: Okay. Well, Just now you are. Gunner. Yeah. Now I am. Yeah. Good stuff. John, <laughs> well, thanks for your 40 years here. Coming over to you, Mike, what's your career look like? I know we just heard from John, and Mm -hmm. I'm guessing a lot of your work involvement will be kind of parallel to each other.
1: Yeah, we've worked together for a long time. Uh, I can remember I, too, worked at New Holland, got laid off there, and uh, came out to uh, Hornady for an interview. And my anniversary is this month, and uh, the 12th of this month, I'll have 39 years. Wow. And uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, Dale Franzen was the plant manager then. And I was just a stupid young kid. I'd been out of the Air Force for about three years. And uh, uh, he brought me out to the shop and showed me a bullet press running. And he he thumped me and said, think you can do that, boy? <laughs> and I said, sure. Yeah, yes, sir. And of course, I'm thinking, hell no, I can't do that. Yeah. But uh turns out I actually could. And in those days, we didn't have a lot of training. Right. You know, you basically shadowed somebody for a little while. And then these are yours. And you had it. Two headers, two presses, and two trimmers, and go at it. You know, and wow, we were we were pretty lucky. We got a guy
2: that works for us has been there a long time,
1: almost fifty years now. Whitey, oh,
2: and he's been on the podcast. People should know the voice and the name, Mike Jensen. I will tell you Whitey.
1: what, yeah, he's probably the best. Probably the. it's just my opinion. Probably the greatest bullet maker in America, maybe in the
0: world, all time.
1: Yeah, that dude can do anything. You know <laughs> yeah. what? You you say that.
2: That's probably not far off the mark.
1: No, and we don't know what to do. That's who we go to. Yeah, yeah he's... even today. But back in the day when John and I started, we worked next to each other. He ran one and two, and I ran three and four. And uh, we had a lot of times to do there. I remember when he got married, because he had a, he had taken in his <laughs> trimmer bench, he had carved a little heart with oh. Johnny loves Debbie in it. Yeah. and uh <laughs> you know so we do
0: i don't have my ring on but we're, we're so married <laughs> yeah, we're <good. laughs>
1: yeah so we've got a lot of history together and uh, john's pretty humble about his ability uh right now uh um john is really like my point guard i'm the plant manager now okay i i started there as a press operator i did that for about 10 years and then i became the uh, plant supervisor and then the plant manager got let go. So then I became the plant manager. I did that for about I don't know, 15, 16 years. And then we didn't have a training program and I'd kind of burned out being in management, you know, so they let me go start the training program, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to still meet all the guys and, and pass along, uh, really wrote down a lot of the tribal knowledge that we had so that we formalize it so that we can train our new guys. Cause we went from, when we started, there was 22 presses and 11 operators, Yeah, you know, and now I, I, we got over 200 operators. Wow. So, and you
2: got to see the level of training that you did or didn't receive when you started and to start the training program that's become right. critical to, to hiring new employees. Right. Early
1: on, a lot, of some of the guys didn't want to share anything with you because they were afraid you'd know as much as they did. And, oh. uh, you know, so. When when the training program started, uh, really, I would write all this stuff down, and then John would read it, and Whitey would read it, and if we all agreed that that's how it was, that was the best practice, then that's how we did it. Wow! But uh, from the ground up. Yeah, that was exciting. And then, uh, what about three years ago? They asked me to come back and run the
2: shop again. So So. bullet plant manager and making the best bullets we've ever made. The demand is uh, infinite. Uh, and I don't say that facetiously just to, you know, to prop up our product. I, I truly believe, uh, you know, working in the engineering field that I did and doing ballistics and doing a bunch of shooting between here and there in the last decade, I really think that we make better bullets today than we did even just a few years ago with process controls and, you know, just different ways to work the material. Um. I really think we're making the most accurate bullet we, we've ever made. Yeah. When we started
1: out, when John and I started out, uh, we didn't necessarily have formal setup sheets for bullets. So, you know, you're talking yeah. about a 14-station press. You'd have to kind of wander
0: around and fight all the parts. We didn't have a tool crib, you know. Yeah, basically all the parts for all the setups on all the presses. You know, of course, there was only 22 presses basically in one cabinet. You know, one cabinet to. Yeah. <laughs> Three foot wide, you know, six yeah. foot tall and, you know, 25 drawers in it. But everybody rat holed stuff. And yeah. so that that was kind of how that worked. Some of the bigger stuff, yeah. It wouldn't fit in the cabinets, but yeah. sweat dies, draw dies, bow tail punches. And basically we bought
1: old waterberry presses, you know, used ones mm-hmm. and did what, what, what would you call a Craigslist rebuilt. We repainted them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we and then we brought them out on the floor and we ran the hell out of them.
2: Yep. And I think that's another important note. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, that some people think, you know, or don't understand actually what a bullet's made on and we use I mean there's others out there now, but the Waterbury Feral Transfer Press, that's kind of I mean that's what made the company. Yeah. That's yes. where we
1: started. Yes.
2: And those things go back into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the ones we're using are World War 1, World War 2 era. Oh, yeah. And they basically are just big machines that go up and down. And the punches and the dies that you put into them, that's what makes bullets. But Waterbury feral transfer presses are used to make other stuff around the world. Yeah, it's a 30-ton press, but it,
1: the, the transfer just takes one position and moves it to the next. So you have a 14-station die set, and it works through that whole process of drawing the cup. And then you put your interlock in, and on your header you would be cutting a core lead. And then you'd insert the core lead, and you'd core seed it, and then you would uh, pre-swedge it, shear it if you're making a standard rifle bullet, and then you would final swedge it, and then point finish mm. it, size it, take out all the taper and control the diameter. That was the process back in those days. You had a trimmer. So you, had, you basically, you had your draw side on the right-hand side, and the canneler on the old military-style turret was on the right-hand side. They dropped out. You pick those up, you put them into your trimmer, and then you would sort through the jackets, put them back up in the hopper on the other side, on the left-hand side of the press, so that we could swedge them up. Oh, wow.
2: Those times have changed a little bit as far as... You yes. handled the weight about seven times. Right. Oh, boy. Right. Yeah, we're yeah. a lot more efficient than that now. Yeah, we yes. are. Yeah, and that's you know also why we make so many bullets, is we are very efficient, and we'll get into the, the details on the technical side of how a bullet's drawn out and made, but uh Uh, Mike, you've obviously had a a long career working side by side with some of the greats here, obviously, uh, Johnny P as we call him, uh, and Whitey Mm -hmm. and Whitey's still here and he's still the go-to guy. (laughs) He is. He is, he is simply, uh, he's got to be honestly one of the more patient men I think I've ever met Uh, as far as like teaching people stuff. He's very, very patient. He is. And, uh,
1: we benefited a great deal because of, of his ability to explain to us when we were young what was happening in the process so that we understood Mm -hmm. cause and effect because that's what's important when i when i do this what does it do oh sure you have to know that to connect the dots yep yep
0: yeah and he was one of the uh most experienced guys there when we started there because uh he'd been there he's only two years older than i am but he had been there seven years when i started there Mm -hmm. so i mean he was uh you know very experienced operator by the time we started Mm -hmm. there so you know he was a pretty good resource for us if we were having a problem with something he could come help us out and yep. you know he's always been a good always been a good uh sounding board and source of knowledge and you know if we were going off on the wrong direction on a problem trying to fix it he could he'd uh you know we'd go talk to him and Yep. well yeah i think but your problem's probably really over here and he'd sort you out and steer you in the right direction and yeah. He's what, always been a good resource for us.
2: What's really amazing to me, and this is tangential to you know making bullets, but uh, Whitey uh, chambers your match barrels. Yes. He, so he does chamber work building guns. He can make probably one of the best bullet manufacturer makers ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can build anything out of metal. He can build anything out of wood, yep. and he'll help you pour concrete on the weekends. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I, I've poured several slabs of concrete or helped pour slabs of concrete for various people and— Whitey shows up, and he's got all the tools, and yep. he's uh, a very gifted craftsman, and I think a, a craftsman's the right word for him because he can make anything out of anything. He can. He can yep. do anything. Uh, so Mike, I, I want to ask you as well. So before you got into making bullets, were you an outdoorsman, or were you a shooter, and did that change as you got into the company?
1: As a kid growing up, uh, my stepdad and I, we always hand-loaded. In fact, I, when I got my job at Hornady, my old man thought that was just <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> Mine too. Because— you know, it's, it, it meant free bullets to him, right. you know, but, uh, I remember being a kid hand loading. We deer hunted. Okay. There was, I'm the second youngest of eight kids. So oh, wow. my old man would get 10 deer permits and we, we ate a lot of deer meat, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, he had a, my uncle lived, uh, had a ranch up at Taylor. Okay. And that's where we always hunted. Gosh, I like that area. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. For there.
2: those, uh, for those listening. Don't don't go to Taylor, Nebraska. There's nothing out there for you. It's just leave it for us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: They live clear out on the West End Road, which would be the end of Loop County, the beginning of Blaine County. Okay. But uh, we always hunted there. And Endless just, sand hills and just slaughtered deer. Yeah, you know?
2: mule deer, probably whitetail out there too.
1: My old man was a was a he. If he had a permit, it had to be filled. Mm-hmm. That was his. <laughs> well, anxiety. with eight
2: eight kids, you probably probably yeah. needed yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. Did you get into any of the competitive stuff like Johnny?
1: You know, not really. I, uh, Whitey and I were there for a while, we did uh, bowling pin shoots. And, oh, yeah. And we got pretty heavy into that. Uh, that was And that was pretty cool. I do want to say about the, the, the match end of it. It's kind of cool how that all evolved because we made match bullets, but it really wasn't a big focus for, of what we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was around there, 2007, 2008. We decided that we were gonna start going to some of these thousand yard matches and just see what was going on. And at that time you have to realize, you know, Whitey had been making bullets for thirty years and I'd been making I'd been around for twenty years, you know, and we kinda set that aside, you know, because you wanted to find out what's important to these guys. Yeah. Right. Whether it's real or not. Yeah, what's important whether it's real or imagined, if they think that's important. Maybe that's something we should focus on. Right. But to be honest with you, all the things that they thought were important were absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And we started to really make a focus of making match bullets. And I can't, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, we we're going to make as many match bullets as we do every day. It's crazy. Oh Yeah.
0: We're, we're a match bullet company.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, in 2015, it really, that was the line of demarcation when the ELD match bullet and the yeah. ELDX bullet, which is made very similar to our ELD mm-hmm. match bullet. Uh, and held the very similar accuracy standards yeah. i feel like for me that was the line in the sand where after that our match bullet production and our match bullet use in sports greatly increased oh yeah but well, we were there to learn not to teach yeah
1: so that was i think that's no. that was the right attitude to take sure you know and to be honest with you our guys that go to the thousand yard matches they uh they're very well liked mm-hmm. you know they're they're a part of that of that crowd and and
0: they've made a lot of friends with people. Yep. So, yeah. And Joe and Christina were pretty good ambassadors for the company. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, they learned a ton from the people that were already in it that were, you know, doing a good job and winning. And then they started winning. Yeah. They started winning and then yeah. they kind of handed that off to some of us. And and the rest is history. And the rest of history. They got to start their family. And
2: yeah. And we yeah. got a pretty good bench rest team since then. I mean, we've got yeah. a, a team that are
0: good bunch of
1: guys yeah
2: good guys well and they're yeah they're they're just good guys all the way around but then you get them to the matches and they're interacting with the people well they're flying the hornady flag and they're competitive yeah that's that's cool yes they are
3: now hornady offers sub x component bullets from 308 up to 458. the sub x features a lead core and is designed to provide deep penetration and high weight retention at reduced velocities The patented flex tip combined with long grooves in the gilding metal jacket ensure excellent expansion at velocities down to 900 feet per second delivering big results without the big bang sub x bullets from hornady
2: well guys i'm gonna take this time now to transition into the match not the match bullets the the production of the bullets right so um you guys obviously have a, a vast amount of knowledge, and, and it would be too technical, I think, to really get into a lot of the aspects, but largely, let's talk about the raw material, how that comes to us, what we do with it, and then the, the draw process and, and why that's significant for us, and what are some of the intricacies that, that we face in manufacturing a bullet? What are the, some of the things that are difficult to make, or uh, you know, how do you guys really extract the most accuracy out of out of a bullet uh, because yes we talked about match bullets and they are accurate and the A tip bullet which is the most uniform consistent bullet ever manufactured in the history of ever but our 30 cal 150 grain spire point i have shot bullets in the lab when i would help downstairs to shoot for accuracy a classic 150 spire from a 308 would just pound a single knot hole yep so we make accurate bullets across the spectrum so Let's go. Let's kind of start at the beginning. We talked about the press. Let's talk about some raw material, and then kind of what that looks like going through.
1: Why don't I talk about the, uh, the just getting the strip in and making the cups, and then I'll kind of hand that off. Yeah, here. there you go. Uh, we get our strip in, and then we run it through a, a, a double-acting press, which is a blanking press. It actually blanks out a disc. There's a and there's and there's a second ram that comes down, and it shoves that punch through a, a draw die and makes
2: that into a drawn cup. Okay, so it starts life as something maybe eight inches wide and, and rather thin. Yes. Just, just brass. 035,
1: we use o- as thick as 050 and 060.
2: Wow. Okay, so it punches it out into a circle, and yep. then that circle of material is punched into a it, die and it's made a into a, And it's made into a drawn cup. So how precise is that process? Because when you hear about, okay, you punch out a, a disc, and then you punch that disc into a die. doesn't sound precise. Well, we can't make a good bullet with a bad cup. Okay. Right. We have to make really good cups.
1: And I think in the last five years, we've even stressed even more because of the match business. Uh, we've stressed even more uniformity mm-hmm. uh, that, that they're not just concentric, which means that true concentricity is uh, material thickness variation
2: you know oh it's not just perfectly circular it's the variation of the thickness in that circle that's right okay
1: but our concentricity gauge actually measures both at the same time doesn't it
2: mhm
1: so it takes both factors into into consideration at one time
2: okay and concentricity i mean it's got to be less than a half a thou or a thou what are we looking for now nah, we're looking for 2 or 3 tenths whoa so half of a half of a thou
1: yeah if we're going to make good cups uh that and make really good match bullets we got to have cups that are uh, nearly two or, perfect, two or three-tenths at the most.
0: Wow. And so, there's multiple cups being made with each stroke of the press, so as far as diameter of the cup, we want that oh, to be, you know, about the same yep. tolerance on it. Yep. You know, if you're making six cups at a time, you want the diameters to be within a couple tenths of each other. You know, if they're a thousandths, thousandths and two-tenths, that's too much. because too much. Wow. Just because of the process yep. we're using, you know, downstream from it, the Uh, that would show up, that would show up on your
2: finished product. Just with bad accuracy, large dispersion. And that's pretty remarkable when you think, it kind of falls in line with with pretty much everything else in life, is the preparation is often more important than the actual job. Whether you're tiling a wall, painting a car, or making a bullet, the stuff you do beforehand, uh, getting prepared, get everything right, makes a difference in the finished product. And in this case, those cups are hypercritical to making a good bullet. Yes, they are. And that material... That is not punched out into a disc. That's all recycled. That's right. So it, it all just comes
1: back to us, chopped up. We send it back to our supplier, and then they remake it back into
2: strip. That's yeah, because we make a lot of bullets. We need all the material we can get. We do. <laughs> all right. So you know that you've got the cup, and you've got a certain diameter uh, and a certain thickness. Uh, what other raw material do we need, and how does that look dr- going through the draw process? Well, the lead process, we get it in bulk. We get okay. it in thousand
1: pound blocks. And then we melt it down into our uh, lead pot. We pour that into a a water-cooled mold, and then we take those out to our extruder, and we extrude those into lead wire. Okay. And that lead wire is then going to become the core for the bullet. And again, we make everything from 130 diameter to 400 diameter, depending on what, what you're making for a bullet. Yep. So, I mean, 130 is for 17s, 400 is for a 50 cal. So... There's an everything in between. A lot of different variations. And it's all, de- it's all determined by caliber, what size lead wire you're going to need. Okay. Generally, a 7mm takes 195. You know, a thirty caliber, it takes, it
2: takes uh, 300 lead. Okay. So you go, got these rows and rows, and for those that have been on a factory tour have seen these rows and rows of lead spools of organized by diameter. Yep. And so you've got lead, you've got the copper jacket. And now we gotta we gotta put them together, and uh, that process somewhat proprietary. But but there's a lot of stuff that's not secret in this world. But like you said, it's a 14 draw process. Is that pretty consistent for every bullet? Uh, plus or minus a couple, you know, Depend depending
0: on, on what what product line. I mean, if it's got a tip in it versus oh, being a hollow point. Okay. I mean, they you know a hollow point would have a couple fewer stations, but mm-hmm. but okay, we got moldable tips too oh yeah oh we've got tons of tips yeah we got tons of tips we got different right. sizes links hard plastic tips we got rubber tips we got aluminum tips yeah, yeah. we've got it all lever evolution oh we yeah flat tips kind of blunt rounded tips we've got so, pointy tips yeah we got <laughs> so, all
2: kinds of stuff so you've got this this Waterbury Ferrel transfer press and you know when i look at it, it you put your raw material, your cups in on the left, and then it starts the draw process from left to the right. Correct. press will go down, the punch will hit the material into a die. As the press comes up, that the bottom track will transfer one station over to the right. A new cup comes in and it just keeps marching it down the line. Right. So what are those different draw processes and which ones are very, very critical? And how do we form things like boat tails, for example? Well,
1: the draw process is pretty critical because you have to move copper slowly. It'll tear or it'll start to gall. If you're working it too hard, it'll gall the dies up or it'll start, to, it'll start to bite off pieces. So the percentage of reduction has to be just spot on basically for everything. And when you go into a match bullet, which John could talk a little bit more about, it's even more critical. Mostly those are skinny jackets, but they're super long bullets. So you're, yeah. you're really, you're not just doing diameter reduction. You're doing, you're, you're really doing you're, some. You're doing bigger. jacket wall
2: thickness. Yeah. yeah. And that jacket wall thickness, if it starts in the cup, you know, it being yeah. critical, it's critical in that world as well. Cause you're taking a cup that's short and fat and you're trying to draw it to thinner and longer. So, uh, yeah. What's that draw process look like? You can't do it all at once, right?
0: No, you don't do it all at once. I mean, you do. Like a measured diameter reduction, either through four draws or five draws. Okay. And, you know, if you're starting out with the 600,000th diameter cup, you know, first one might be four, just, say, 450, and then down to maybe 400 or 380, and then you just kind of go down the line depending on what caliber you're making. and
2: Getting smaller and smaller in diameter, longer and longer in length, yeah. and keeping Normally, that uniformity.
0: Like on a mash bullet, uh it could be four draws, it could be five, it depends. It okay. depends on you know, like how long the bullet is and things like that. But Okay, just just say if it's four draws and you you got four draws, you only draw the fourth draw uh through, you know, about the length of
2: what your pinch trim jacket would be. Okay, what's uh, a pinch trim jacket? So you draw the bullet out, it gets longer and longer and longer. And, and then, then you
0: the uh, say like the four draw setup.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The fourth
0: draw, you're, only, you're not drawing all the way through. You're not drawing the, the full length of the jacket down to bullet diameter. You leave uh, the third draw diameter up at the top so the pinch trim punch could get down inside of that. Okay. And then you're actually pinching it off to the length of jacket you want to make that specific bullet.
2: Oh, so it makes the length of the jacket now uniform.
0: Yeah, so, okay, you go through these draw positions where you got the diameters controlled down to a tenth of a thousandth. And then, okay, with your pinch trim position, you're controlling the length of that jacket that you're going to make the bullet out of down to one thousandths of an inch. Okay. Okay, then once you've got a pinch trim jacket, okay, you're...
2: Next process, you got a big hollow tube that's very uniform. you got a hollow
0: tube that's uniform jacket thickness, uniform diameter, uniform length. It weighs, it's going to weigh the same with, if you want to get super technical, with the exception of what the thickness is in the bottom, which you didn't, you didn't do anything with the bottom of it, yeah, other push on it. Yep. But, I mean, the weight's all going to be static, length static, diameter static, concentricity static.
2: So making some of the best bullet jackets in the world yeah. uh, just by hard metal and soft metal, just it, push mm-hmm. them together.
0: So now that you've got a jackets is just exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Okay, we were inserting a core lead that, you know, is made on a different machine. Okay. And then the core lead's a specific diameter, specific length, specific weight Yeah. to get you the weight you critical want yeah. for that bullet. Yeah, the weight's critical. And, you know, and we have, during the stroke, we have sensors on the press, of, you know, with the cup as well as the lead. That'll tell you if the, okay, if the cup's too thick or if it's too thin, it'll shut the press off. And it'll alert you to what position it was, why it shut off. Wow. And then the same thing with the lead. Mm-hmm. Okay, then, okay, assuming the lead is what you wanted. And, you know, when it pass a uh, sensor, okay, now you go over to core seat it.
2: You know, and you might have one core seat, you might have two. Oh, because the lead's loose in the cup the lead's loose point. inside the cup. So I mean, you have to seat it, hit it with hard metal.
0: Yeah, like and you've got to let it free fall down to the bottom so you can accurately measure that core.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. You know,
0: accurately measure it, you know, make sure it's right. It's the weight that you want. Okay, then we'll move over to the core seat. Then you core seat it. Let's say if you got... A flat base bullet probably might only have one core seat, but you're just basically swedging that core down to that jacket, you know, filling it out so Mm -hmm. it's touching all the way around. It's getting smashed in there, and you might have just a little tiny bit of lead bleed up around the punch. But, you know, you're just seating that into that jacket Mm -hmm. so it's just one solid mass now. But then you got to open the rest of the open tube at the top.
2: Yeah. Well, and people, you know, you, you go, hey, we're going through the process, and you hear that, okay, yep, they crushed the lead in there. i I think few people understand how critical that is because if that lead is not uniform all the way around the the id of the cup Mm -hmm. your bullet has horrible center of gravity offset and it's going to it's going to spin around like an out of balance tire and when you go to shoot it you shot five of those you'd have a shotgun pattern uh so just something as simple as smashing lead into the cup is is again such a critical point for accuracy mm-hmm. now, and the other thing you have to compensate for as the
1: as the press runs the punches start to wear you have to you have to accommodate the wear with your core seat punch because oh. the inside diameter of the jacket continues to get smaller and smaller you can't use the same you know that's everything's made to be uh, size to fit so like tail punches are made bigger than the die so that you can polish them down to fit the die you're currently running because yeah. every tool has a life so that's that's how we i mean every draw die has a, a range that we allow them to grow once they've gone beyond that then we grind them up to the next size uh six millimeter swedge dies once they're once they're too big to 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 run anymore then we're gonna we're gonna make those into six fives and we're gonna or 25 calibers or we're gonna make you know 30 calibers into 338 yeah or, or Oh, that's i did not know that that's interesting we just burn them up to the next yeah uh, the next caliber
2: that is remarkable yeah we have edms for burning carbide and yep. uh that's a neat recycling part that i i was not aware of mm-hmm. so all right john you got uh the lead cord uniformly smashed into a super uniform jacket that's drawn up now on let's say boat tail bullets for example. Uh, how does that boat tail get on there? When does that process take place? And then when does the ogive start to take shape? Well, you're doing the
0: boat tail in the core seat position. I mean, uh, flat base, a lot of times we just hit it once because, you know, you're just doing one thing. You're just seating the lead down in there. But when you're forming that boat tail, we might hit it twice. Okay. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. It depends on what bullet
2: is. How long the boat tail is probably, how right. much materials. down And we, there. Got,
0: we have some longer boat tails down, you know, and, uh, so longer bowtails tails more likely are going to be hit twice and then you know the first one's going to take it half to three quarters of the way and then we'll finish it off in the second core seat okay in the second core seat you know we're controlling that with ejector position inside the die okay you know and Kick then it out of there and then how hard we're hitting it and you know some bullets have personality some bullets like to be hit really hard they shoot better that way and some bullets not so much Interesting. it just depends you got to learn uh Idiosyncrasies of that particular bullet, what it likes. Wow, and that's the
2: tribal knowledge that you talked about.
0: Yeah, and I got a book. I got a book <laughs> in my toolbox that I started, you know, back in the '90s. I got stuff entered in. I put dates on stuff. Yeah. Back in the '90s, on the uh, first Vmax bullets, we did in the early '90s. You know how what it liked. Yeah. You know, what as what far con- as what it's- can you get away with on concentricity on the jacket? Uh, what you wanted for boat tail length? You know, it, does it like being hit hard? Does it like being hit soft? And, of course, he, you know, I just got a book. I had a guy here this last week goes, I bet that book's going to come up on auction, is it? It's going <laughs> yeah. to go the highest bidder when yeah. you leave. If Johnny ever retires, yeah, we're going
2: to auction it off.
1: <laughs> I want his calculator because he, he has a calculator from 1979. That's still, it's As long as I've known it, it's always had a wire around it. Well, it's got a zip tie now.
2: <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh. That was back from my New Holland days. Yep. Still running. It's still running. Is it a Casio or a Texas instrument? It's a Sharp.
0: It's a Sharp. <laughs> it's an LCD. There's no more it, numbers
1: it, on the letters. It runs
0: whatever. on a nine-volt battery, and the the case of it's like a front and back. And it's when I worked out at New Holland in machine shop, you had this, all this coolant mist coming out of these machines I was running, that coolant mist was actually kind of hard on plastic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it kind of <laughs> rotted that plastic away. That's... A piece of wire I used to have, and now a zip tie on it holding it together. Oh my god! I had to take it home because people would use it. Yeah, they go over to my toolbox, grab it out of there, and use it, and then they forget to shut it off because it actually has a switch. You got to turn
2: it on with and turn it off with. Does it make like a sound? Like no, when no it sound. Powers up. Damn, no sound. Cause that'd be cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> all right. So we've got a a bullet now. Jacket's drawn out. The lead core seated. Uh, you form that boat tail as you're doing the core seat, and then now we have. An empty tube up top. How are we going to, how, how do we form that Ojive?
0: Okay, the fingers we have in a track, you know, the track's moving left and right. It mm-hmm. actually has some ramps, and the ramps are actually the way the fingers are designed actually roll that over. Uh, so, so, like, uh, open ends up, goes through the core seat, comes up into the rollover fingers, open end up, and then hits the first ramp, turns it 90 degrees, hits the second ramp, turns it the other 90 degrees. Now that's inverted, the open part of the jacket's down on the oh, bottom okay. now. So it's
2: upside down from the way it It's started. upside
0: down from where it started, you know, clear over here on the end when you started drawing the cup. It's okay. Up, it's upside down now.
2: So now you have the ability to hit the bullet from the top with the punch and right. put dies in the bottom. Yep. Oh, okay.
0: Yep. And then, uh, got a bow tail punch. It shoves it through a sledge die and it'll take it most of the way to the finish profile, but not quite. Okay. You know, if you're going on a stony point measurement, you might be. 20,000, 30,000 short on a, or longer on the stony point than what you would be on the final swedge. But you're just forming most of profile. And then we hit it in the edge finish position, which just kind of cleans up that pinstrim edge a little bit. Okay. So it's pretty uniform across the end of that. And then we go over to the tip insert is position where shove it down in the die. And then we have an ejector that inserts a tip into it and then shoves it up into the fingers. Then it goes over to a final swedge. Where you're going to hit it the rest of the way to blend the profile with the profile of the tip, mm-hmm. you know, and get it to hang on to the tip good. And you got the stony point measurement you want. And then last position, you're shoving it through a size die. And that size die on the final, that sets the final diameter. Final diameter, because you may be, you know, two-tenths, three-tenths over our tolerance on bullet diameter, you know, by the time you get to the final swedge. Okay. And get through there. And then, okay, we're sizing it down so it's... In our tolerance for diameter which is plus or minus three tenths on most bullets
2: yep so if you're making a 308 bullet it's going to be 3080 3083. yeah one, it could be 3077 three. 3083 yep yeah yeah that's and also i mean if anybody's in manufacturing it's probably not so awe-inspiring but for you know just a hayseed in nebraska when you see some of the measuring tools that we have that you you're accurately measuring things to the individual tenth of a uh-huh. thou that's I don't know that to me that's pretty remarkable because you're we're doing it on such a large scale uh, yeah when
0: we're talking jacket concentricity when we're working on accuracy um we got these little gauges that we can measure the jacket concentricity you know and hey we're seeing five ten six ten so that's no bueno we're yeah. not really digging that we got to yeah. get that better and
3: and
2: that's, you know we'll see it we'll see it in the accuracy test sure well that's the next all right so Johnny and Mike set up a press, and they go through all the draw processes, and they have this product that pops out, looks just like a bullet. Holy cow, dimensionally measures everything that it's supposed to measure. Well, that's cool. It looks like a bullet, but now it's got to perform. So what's the next step as far as bullet manufacturing goes? You went through all the tooling and the dies and the press. Now it's got to go downstairs.
1: That's right. Now it goes downstairs, and they're going to load them up, and they're going to shoot them. Match bullets have to shoot two 10-shot groups at 200 yards. So. It's a fairly tough test. Yeah. Most of those are around, what, eight eight, 8, 8, 8, 50. Our A-tip bullets, we expect them to shoot under 8 tenths.
2: 8 tenths of an inch at 200 yards on yep. consecutive 10-shot they, they
1: routinely do that. I mean, they, I think the other day uh, on those 6.5s, uh, didn't you have just a knot that was just, I mean. Yeah. The old 153s just ran, the 153
2: A-tip. Was, yeah, yeah. They're, they're still on the press still right there. on. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, they just We, shoot we had bullets.
0: a. What is that? What's going on M3 right now? Is it a, That's that 375. That 375. You should have seen the 300 shot the other day. You should have seen that thing. ten one, shots
2: is just a bug hole. One 390 that's diameter. Unreal, hole. man. Yeah. You you, so you question if the bullets are actually yeah. making it to yeah, the it target? Yeah, looks like a
0: 45 caliber hole on the paper. Yeah. What's wow. the best group you ever got, John? Well, probably with 22 cal 40 grain Vmax. You know, that's, I don't know if it was under one tenth of an inch, but it was close. I don't remember. I wish I had some of them. You should have cut in that the day. And put yeah. in your notebook. See,
1: I, I, had a, I had some uh, 50 grain SX bullets I made one time. I got a 150 group.
2: That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind of accuracy that we're talking about. We're not, those are varmint bullets. Those aren't yeah. even match yeah. bullets, and you're getting that kind of accuracy. Yeah.
0: Match shooting in 100 yards. 200 a little tougher. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a little further out there. Yeah, I mean, there's times if you got a little bit of a flyer, it's going to show up a little more there where everything's just got to be spot on.
2: Yeah, I I love that. And I love to see, you know, now we do this all digitally. And so I'll, every once in a while, I'll go into the folder where all those tests are automatically Mm -hmm. saved for the day. And I'll just go through like, you know, oh, I shoot the 110A tip and they're running right now. How'd they shoot? And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, look at the accuracy, but let's, uh, let's play a hypothetical here. So you send the bullet down and it doesn't group to our standards what do you guys do what what's the process there because for a layman looking at it okay i've got let's say 14 punches and 14 dies mm-hmm. but the bullet dimensionally measures good everything's looking right it weighs good where do you know what knob to turn and, and how far do you turn it how does that process work well,
1: we're gonna where you're going to start if the press has been running is you're going to start by qualifying the tooling in the press and i think john and i we're always going to start by pulling our draw punches i can learn a lot from what's going on in that machine, just by looking at my draw punches,
2: okay, how they're, they're wearing,
1: if they're wearing hard or if they're loading up, uh, if the dies are loaded up, you know, I know that I need to go back and and make some adjustments there. Okay, but you're going to go back and you're going to make sure your core seat punch fits like it should. And these are, I mean, these are rudimentary basics that you would begin with, you know, to make sure that all your ducks are in a row. And in on the average bullet, I think if you go through there and you qualify your tooling and you and you send them down, and, and the concentricity is good. You know, on a standard rifle bullet, you have a pretty good chance of them, of them shooting. Um, I I look at shooting percentages every day because it's important to me. Right. Uh, how many times we're testing. You know, we've got a lot of bullet presses, and if, if they're shooting 65 tests in a day, it's been pretty frantic day down in the lab. Our goal is to have them shoot 40 or or forty five would be a good number for them, mm-hmm. and to shoot somewhere in the in the forty percent range. Okay. So lately, I mean, we've had we had a day last week we shot sixty three percent. We had a day last week we shot fifty two percent. You know, yesterday we shot forty seven percent.
2: Yeah, but so, that's still a far cry from there's that I know there's been times where it's been in the thirty percent range, mm-hmm. uh, and for a variety of reasons this is going back a few years ago when I helped out down there on occasion uh and like I'd mentioned I know I said it before but I think right now is the the prime time to make accurate bullets yeah uh it's one of the things that we we push hard
1: is the fundamentals look these are the things you absolutely have to have in order now when it comes to match bullets and John can speak more to this because that's what he does uh he's that's he's He's like their dude. He's the whisperer. He is. When, when they don't know what, when they don't know what to do, we go get Johnny, or I'll send him over. I'll send. I'm sending over the cavalry mm-hmm. here. But uh, but everything has to be in order. I mean, even on a even on a standard 30 caliber bullet, you want your concentricity to be two or three tenths. You want everything to be, you know, as a as a bullet comes out of that pinch trim die, it's got to grow incrementally as it goes out. So Your core seat die has to be bigger than your pinch trim die. Your pre-swedge die has to be bigger than your core seat die. And then your final swedge has to be bigger than your pre swedge die. And you don't want it to grow in big bunches either. So you want it to just grow
2: a couple of tenths in each position Mm -hmm. you know, to have to have what would be ideal. Right. Well and, and the the jackets are, I'm assuming, a work hardenable material. So like you said, if you work them too hard, they're not gonna agree with that. And like John said, yeah every bullet every cup has a personality and you have to learn uh and that's remarkable you know it's like it's not just anybody can 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 just make it happen and i've explained this to people before when when you know they're talking about bullet manufacturing it's like the guy's making the bullets that is a as much of a science and art than it is manufacturing because you can't just take these punches and these dies put them in this Mm -hmm. press and hit the go buttons no. It it is very refined. You have to massage certain things, and
1: for us, for us, the job is not to run the press. The job is to make the press run. Oh wow! They sound similar, but they're miles apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think it's one of the things that's so frustrating is for you hire young guys and they're clever and they're they you know mechanically inclined. Generally, they if they've worked at another job, you know, somebody showed them for two or three weeks how to do it. And they're as good as the guy that that taught them here. They could be two or three years into the curve of learning how to make bullets. Yep. And, and still going, I I don't know if I've scratched the surface here. And, and there's so much to know. And I think it's one of the things that makes John and I, uh, we just remember, I don't know why, you know, I don't know if I remember my kids' birthdays, but I can remember, you know, what happened 35 years ago on this one bullet and why it did what
2: it did. Yep. And it's just, just lock that away. It's crazy. Yep. That is cool. One, one thing I forgot about. Uh, so in that draw process, uh, what we're known for, one of the things that really makes our hunting bullets perform so well is the interlock ring. Yep. And that mm-hmm. interlock ring, again, critically important uh, that it's uniform because that could affect its concentricity, but it mechanically locks the bullet jacket to the bullet core. So as it expands, it tries to hold together. So where does that process come into play?
0: That comes in after the pinch trim position, but before the core insert.
2: Okay, so before the core comes in and yep. the punch goes in and
0: we got a pinch trim jacket. Now we go in and put that interlock ring in there.
2: Okay, and that's just yeah. a punch that squeezes the material? Well
0: there's a uh, on the final draw punch there's a feature down on towards the bottom of the front punch and they got it strategically placed. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's a bow tail bullet, it's gonna be up above the bow tail a little bit. But um on the final draw punch you'll have a diameter let's just say it's two hundred diameter if you're running say a six millimeter, mm-hmm. whatever it is, but two hundred diameter but the diameter below that for whatever length it is to get it up above where the bow tail is, it's gonna be I don't know if it's four or five thousandths on a side. Yep. Okay, so an eight thousand total. Or now you got a step. You got a step in that jacket wall there. And then you're oh, coming man. down with the punch, it just slips inside, traps air on the diameter above, but then hits against that thicker part of the wall down below and pushes that material down, and you end up with a, now you a up nice with a sharp ledge Aaron. And we have a gauge pin test that you have to pass where we have a gauge pin out there. This has to be a certain diameter or smaller, mm-hmm. actually, so you know you got enough interlock. And if your gauge panel slip in past that, okay, you don't have enough interlock. You got to hit put, it a little harder. Got to hit a little bit harder. And yeah. then
2: you seat the lead core into that, and that's where that gouge, for lack of a better term, yeah. And happens. the core will go in past that ledge, yeah. mm-hmm. and then when you seat it in there,
0: okay, it fills in every little nook and cranny. But that interlocks now a mechanical lock on that lead between the lead and the jacket, where okay, it's got to It would have to slide up past that, you know, for. Hundreds of thousands before it could yeah. get yeah. clear of that interlock and then separate. And we generally cut, we'll cut a core seated jacket
1: in half so that we can see how our interlock is, is working. Yeah,
2: put that under. That, uh, that the, the
1: core is completely filled out in the bottom. Otherwise, it may crush when you, when you start to swedge it. Yeah.
2: And that interlock ring, I know I mentioned it before, but a critical part of why our hunting bullets are successful. And it's, it's not just a marketing thing. I mean, that is a real thing that is in a bullet. It does work. I've seen it work. And uh, in my uh, previous job here at Hornady, I shot a ton of our critical duty pistol bullets. Now, I know we've been talking rifle bullets, but, uh, you know, we have the FBI contract for 9mm, and we make that 135-gain critical duty bullet. We test that bullet like nobody's business, and in doing that testing, physically doing it, I saw how that interlock ring worked with the other features on the bullet to make it the single best scoring bullet the FBI's ever tested in nine millimeter mm-hmm. and uh, that little feature you know we're talking eight thousandths total yeah. it's such a critical part of, of holding a bullet together when you're working with a lead core um i'd like your guys opinion on uh how we make bullets you know in, in the industry there's a lot of lead core bullet manufacturers and some of them will make bullet jackets and then they'll take the jackets and they'll you know they'll make them of a certain size and they'll put them in their storage racking and then when they get a shop order to make this bullet it requires this jacket they'll go get the jacket put it back into a press to finish the process Um, and there's a lot of people that that do that successfully and make good bullets Um, but again nobody can hang with our volume of bullets and I think our bullets are some of the most accurate bullets ever made in the world Uh, we do ours in a single process do you guys how do you feel about that compared to the competitors out there
1: well, I think, I think they have no recourse. Once they start to swedge those up, there's nothing they can do to go back and change the jacket. We test. We put it together. We get it exactly the way we want. We send them downstairs to make sure that it confirms, hey, that, yeah, not just that we're making a bullet to print, but we're making an accurate bullet. Mm-hmm. And, and we test. And like in our A-tip bullets, we're only going to run 50,000 bullets, and we're going to test again and to make sure that they're, they're spot on. But we have recourse. If they don't shoot, we can go back and change the jacket. We can go back and change different things in order to accommodate yeah. what we need to have for for our accuracy spec.
2: So way less scrap, you'd say, because if you ended up with a bunch of jackets that were you didn't catch that they were out of concentricity or something, now you, what do you do with those jackets? Yeah, and yeah, then when we would catch it early.
0: And when he's talking about changing something, you know, we're talking about hey, we got to polish this dye Polish this punch or do something that, okay, yeah, we, we're getting some five-tenths, maybe some six-tenths concentricity on this jacket once in a while. Hey, let's see if we can't, you know, get that back down to two-tenths,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, three-tenths anyway. Then we'll have a better chance at meeting the accuracy standard, you know, and then we'll go take care of whatever it is, whether it's removing a draw dye, polishing it, or all of them, or the punches. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's not its not some sweeping wholesale change where, okay, we're ripping all this dueling out and we're going to put new stuff in. Yeah, it's massaging stuff. It's massaging stuff. You know, the punches will get a little, uh, Kenny Doms used to call it the gray sickness <laughs> on the dies, or, you know, the punches will get it too where, yeah. you know, okay, you got a stripper wearing on a draw punch a little bit, kind of scuffed up one side. We'll polish that off, give it a more smooth machine finish like it was when it came from the grinder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times that's all it will take to tighten up that concentricity a little bit. Yeah.
2: So that's. Get it back where you want it. Another reason, yeah, just making bullets from start to finish on one single track in a perfectly straight line just works for us and less material scrap, less process handling, uh, making a more efficient process. And Mm -hmm. it
1: really doesn't matter what bullet you make. You have to be, you have to be. You have to be meticulous about what you do. Mm-hmm. It's what makes Johnny really good. That's why he's a good 1,000-yard match shooter, because he's meticulous, because he weighs everything. And yeah. he, he does all the things you're supposed to do in order to be consistent. And if to, to make the best bullets, you have to have consistency. You do. it has to, If you're going to drive them into the same hole, everything coming across that machine has to stay
2: static. Perfect. That's a good way to put it. And, yeah, you have to be... You have to be exacting and you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And that's one thing I think you guys could speak to, uh, especially you in in the management side of the things, uh, Mike, that a lot of us here are here because we're passionate end users. Uh, And that's something I think is an intangible that translates to a a better product all the way around and not just bullets. I mean, company-wide. I really do. I think between the research and development teams, the, Engineering teams, a lot of the operators. There's so many people that do this because they want to, not because they have to. Right. Yeah. And and I think that translates to a better product.
1: Yeah. We've there's always been on Press Row. There's always been a lot of pride in what we do, and I think that's that's important. You know, when you get a really good group, you want to
2: show people. Oh yeah. You know, when you. uh, Yeah.
0: When when that happens, there's people they're waving around their sheet. Hey, look at this. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, there's, you know, I, I think that's kind of a, uh, uh masculine trait. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But we're we there's <laughs> toxic, pride, toxic masculinity. No, I mean this <laughs> genuinely. That that when you build something, you know, it there's 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 a, a source of pride in that yep. because I did that and it, it it wasn't by accident. And I did this on on, you know, I spent a lot of time and effort and energy making this happen. And when you get uh, you know, the fruits of your labor are, it's rewarding. It is.
0: Yeah. And you can go from, uh, say say you're struggling, trying to meet an accuracy standard. They haven't shot in several days and you're pulling your hair out. And then Johnny comes over. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking myself even, (laughs) you know, you you get frustrated, you get, man, you just, you don't know what to do. You think, okay, just calm down. Let's take a step back here. Okay. What what have I done? What have I not done? Okay. I've touched this, this, and this, and this. What haven't I touched? You know, what have I not touched that it might respond to? And then you go after that. I mean, you can go from being frustrated as hell because you're not getting this. And I just can't see why this won't shoot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have this. I have this. You know, it's it's a big puzzle. There's hundreds of pieces to this puzzle to make this bullet shoot good hundreds of things and you're
2: missing one and tiny little piece. What is
0: it? What is it? What is that one thing that this thing needs? I got a good jacket. I'm course eating the bow tail links right. It's like, Dang it. What have I not touched? And then when you touch that one thing and it responds to it, you get a good test. It's like right. okay, it's now like, I'm back. It's, it's going in the book. Yeah, yeah. you got to document that That's one. right. That's <laughs> right. That's But it it can go from being frustrating to being you know, you just won the super bowl.
3: Yeah. The Hornady Auto Charge Pro, providing precise, customizable powder dispensing in an easy-to-use, space-saving unit. The new modernized load cell is precise to within 0.1 grain. The Auto Charge Pro offers customizable trickle speeds for various powder types, as well as custom trickle time settings. With a smaller footprint than competing brands, the Auto Charge Pro still offers a large powder capacity hopper. The Auto Charge Pro from Hornady.
2: That's, that's pretty amazing. Well, on behalf of everybody who's ever shot Hornady Bullets, thank you guys for being part of you know, what makes the company. You know, A lot of people know us for ammo and our reloading tools, but bullets, they make the company. As Jason Hornady would say, you know, the bullets make the H. Talking about our logo, the, the two pillars of the letter H, those are they're bullets in there because that's what makes the company. That's what, makes, that's what keeps the lights on, for yeah. lack of a better term. We, we feel like, like we've spent our last 40
1: years pretty damn well. Yeah, doing something that we love and working with people, I think that's probably one of the most rewarding things. Is when you see other people succeed. Yeah, you know, it makes it really fills you up because they're getting it, you know. And uh, somebody taught us how to do it, so we have a responsibility to teach other people how to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's that's one of the most rewarding things because there's 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 a lot of folks out there, and there these kids, these young guys, they need to they need some help, they need some direction. I need some encouragement, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's one thing John brings is he's very patient. He comes over and then he, don't worry, man, we're going to get this. Yeah, we're going to get this. Don't yeah. worry.
2: He's never not got it before. No, that's right. <laughs> we always get, do. We got, always win. Got a good track record. But we always win, don't we? Uh, yeah, we eventually. always
0: win. Sometimes it takes longer than others. Yeah. but
2: Well, that's a good point, Mike, that, uh you know, it, it fills your cup to see other individuals succeed in, in this uh, manufacturing yeah. environment. And when individuals are succeeding and thriving the company's doing better as well yep yeah it's it's uh-huh. a win for everybody all the way around and the consumer is getting a better product it's, it's kind of yeah. yeah all the way around just great stuff so before we close this up guys i'd like to ask you one if you got any closing thoughts on your career and and just making bullets in general and i'd like you guys if you can think back is there a bullet that you just enjoyed when you were just normal you know press row operations is there a bullet when the shop order came in oh thank gosh we're making 30 cal 150s because i know they're going to run like a skin cat and i won't have to fight it is there a bullet for you guys that stands out
0: i like the i made the very first tip bullets we've ever made mm-hmm. 40 grain 50 grain 55 grain 22 cal v max mm-hmm. and i always used to love to run the 40 grain v max because i knew I could get them things to shoot a knot hole at will. Yeah, that's yeah, confidence inspiring. You could you could get to run the, pre, the press and just run beautiful. It would run beautiful all day long, all day long. You have minimal problems. You know, if you cut good lead, you had
2: good cups, you had good tips. Man, we're gonna make an asshole to bullets. That's a good feeling to have. I like that, and that's yeah. we, we didn't. We talked about the Vmax bullet here. This has been several weeks ago now. Uh, yeah, that was. Released as a new product in 1996 and really set the world on fire and is now the premier predator environment bullet out there is the Hornady V Max. And that's cool that you had a hand in that one. <laughs> yeah. You know? He's had a lot in a lot of these things. Yeah. Huh? A lot of this stuff. I think for me, uh,
1: probably one of my favorite bullets to make was, uh, I used to make a lot of 22 match bullets, 2268 grain bow tail hollow point. Mm-hmm. That's a great shooting little bullet. Yeah. Uh, as far as other bullets, just like, uh, 338s, 338s are just inherently accurate for some reason. Those bullets just always shoot. They're they're pretty forgiving. Uh 270s are pretty forgiving. They're they're a, they're a good cartridge there. It's a good caliber to of bullet to make. Yeah. You know, 270 130s we sell tons and tons oh of those. Oh my gosh, things. yeah. We but that's a great bullet. We've made a lot of those and and it's a uh, they shoot really well and they run well. So, yeah. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, it's we used to uh, we used to write down our counts so that you know that was yeah. another. Oh, that was another. You, didn't, you not only got them to shoot, but man, I can make my stuff run. I can.
0: I got a little notebooks. We used to, you know, record keeping was a lot different forty years ago than what it is now. But yeah. we, used to, we used to just at the press at our trimmer bench, we'd have a little booklet we would write down our daily production, so we knew where we were at on this particular order. Yeah. And I still have books from, you know, 1983, 1984, 1985. Mm -hmm. And when these younger guys are complaining, you know, these these things just don't run very good. You know, 20,000, that's a pretty good day. And I go, that's a terrible day. You know, it's like, you got to do better than that. Come on, let me show you. Let me show you what an old man could do. (laughs) I was a young one. I was young when we did this, but I'd bring out the book and... People just cringe because they've, <laughs> yeah. <it> yeah. <laughs> they've seen it before. yeah They've seen it before. When I show them my book, say I was making thirty six thousand a day in a ten hour day back in nineteen eighty four. Don't tell me it won't run good. What do you got for problems? Let's fix
1: this. Yeah. Come if, on. You did,
0: if you didn't make thirty six thousand, you didn't even
2: tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, you're kind of embarrassed. Well, and, yeah. and the machines have changed since then too. You know, even yeah. even in the decade I've been here, the amount of uh, sensors the sensors on sensors that sense the sensors yeah. uh the, i would like to know how many miles of wiring go into these things and the circuitry and the hydraulics is just
0: incredible well that'd yeah. probably be a rebuild department question yeah, that would be I'm i sure. mean the electronics we have on the presses now it's well way more advanced it's the, like the space the, shuttle versus yeah, a the, bow and arrow the, mm-hmm.
1: the technology from when we started to where we're at today yeah. is just way off the charts because yeah. even the Waterbury's, they're dialed in. Every block is dialed in and within a, a tenth or two. I mean, we dial the track in. We make sure the ram's tight. Back in the old days, you just shim blocks around, you know, that's and that was standard. You didn't ask anybody to dial a block in. If you yeah. did, they'd tell you just get get the hell out of the tour room. That's not, <laughs> what we, that's not what we do here, Yeah, you know, and now that's standard. If we have a bullet yeah. that doesn't shoot for uh, three or four days, we'll, we'll pull the track and swing the dies and see where we're at.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah. Times have changed, but uh, the the products have remained the same. We're making bullets, some of the best bullets ever yeah. made in the world. And uh, between the classic one hundred and thirty cal, or excuse me, one hundred fifty grain thirty cal spire point that started the company in nineteen forty nine, make tons of them. Yeah, we still do all the way up no. to the two hundred and fifty grain A tip match bullet, which is one of the coolest bullets ever made. Yeah, uh, we we kind of make it all, and we owe a lot of gratitude. Like I said, to guys like you, uh, keeping these presses running. Uh, keeping uh, people trained, helping people out, Johnny getting presses running, and uh, uh, I just can't thank you guys enough. You've been great teachers for everybody here, and uh, hopefully, forty more years of making bullets. Well, <laughs> uh-huh. probably not, huh? You gotta. gotta I don't know if I got forty sometime. years left in well, me. Well,
1: hopefully, in twenty years, they'll say, "Remember them two guys? You know, they taught us a lot of stuff." Yeah, right. that would uh-huh. that would be our legacy. Is that is uh-huh. that the guys that are coming behind us, and we've got some really good young guys that are sharp, so we we feel when we do retire, you know, when we're we're done, we'll be in good shape. Handed
2: it off to good people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. Let's keep keep this thing rolling. Let's do it. Right on. Let's do it. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with in regard to anything Hornady?
0: Anything Hornady. I would say uh, there's no better place I could have landed for a career in grand island nebraska there is no better place or Manufacturing's where i was destined to be mm-hmm. and they and take I'm, care of us and i'm glad i spent the last 40 years there
2: that's awesome yeah, yeah. they do take great care of us that's, yeah,
0: they do yep my ship
1: came in in 1984 and i tell you what i've been so glad that i landed on this one uh you know i've been given opportunities to to run a bullet plant there's nothing really in my pedigree that would suggest that I should be doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, never been to college or anything, uh, but um, obviously Steve had seen more in me than I saw in myself, and gave me that opportunity. And thankfully, I think I rose to the occasion. And um, and not to be the boss, but just to be a partner with the guys out on the floor. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at that. Is you know, uh, I'm not the I'm not the boss. I'm not El Jefe. <laughs> I am I am one of yeah well, when you started uh, there yes you know what it takes yes and uh, but I'm one of the guys mhm you know I I don't sometimes you got to be the boss but I I just as soon yeah. be one of the dudes and yeah well, and try to make things happen
0: with us getting to be the advanced stage that we are I mean yeah uh we're just one piece of the puzzle yeah it takes I'm, a village it takes a village we're one piece of the puzzle and yeah. we're Maybe a little more insignificant than we used to be at one time, but <laughs> I don't know. Everybody
2: yeah. knows you, you've got a press that's not running. It, it's it, John's coming over and will right. make it work. That's what I tell him.
0: <laughs> Sometimes we got to be a cheerleader too. I mean, people are down in the dumps because things aren't going right. They're struggling, and yeah. hey, come on, let's cheer up. We'll get this fixed. Let's go. We can fix this. Yeah. It's gonna be okay. It's like in Pulp Fiction. Johnny's the fixer. What was the, what was the guy's name? They, I don't know what his I, name was. I can't remember. Uh, awesome. I can remember Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think everybody remembers that. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, before this devolves, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks you for sharing it. this and, and walking through bullets with us. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks right. for having us, Seth. Yep, yes, appreciate you. it. You're welcome. Guys, an honor. hopefully you enjoyed this podcast, this technical deep dive on how bullets are made. And you know we've got great guys like John and Mike in the company we've got several others out there that do a lot to help our bullet production Uh, we've got great operators up and coming as well we're going to make the best bullets that we've ever made and we're going to make a bunch of them thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it we'll catch you on the next one